we're going through Hebrews 11, talking about what it means to live by faith, and then looking at the faith of those who maybe have gone before us. And so, uh, why don't I go ahead and open us up in a word of prayer, and then um, we'll read the scripture and dive right in. Glad you're here with us this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, uh, we pause. We pause early. We pause when it's still dark. We, we ask that you would uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a, a heart to follow you. Um, Father, as we think about faith, as we think about what our faith is in, as we look at another's faith, would you encourage us and embolden us? Would you perhaps call us to places that we're not going, that you wish for us to go? Uh, would you commend us, Father, for the faith in us that's pleasing to you? Would you remind us of how faithful you are? So um, open our hearts this morning, and um, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I don't need to tell you Hebrews chapter 11, but I will tell you verses 8 through 10 and 17 through 19. We're, we're going to do a uh, fast pass through the life of Abraham. Verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, every saint in Hebrews 11 is commended for their faith, but perhaps none is spoken of throughout all of Scripture, and especially in the New Testament, as an archetype of faith more than Abraham. Uh, if, if I took just a moment and I said, let's do some word associations for various persons in the Old Testament. And when I say their name, you say the first word that comes to mind. Maybe we can do that. Wake us up a little bit. That's what happens when you get a former youth pastor up front. Okay, uh, what comes to mind when I say Samson? Yeah, we either think of his demise or we think about the fact if you ask my son, he would say strong or strength, right? My dad told me I could never have long hair when I was younger and I was always so disappointed because I thought I could be like Samson. Um, if I said David, what do you associate it with? Anybody else? Okay, Jonathan. Yeah, you have Jonathan, his friend. Uh, in terms of scriptural, I think the greatest association is king, right? He's, he's the most famous king in all of scripture. Uh, and there were not many really good kings. Um, when I say Moses, burning bush, Exodus. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. And it's not just the book of the Bible, but the actual process of exiting Egypt, defeating Pharaoh, all the plagues and stuff. 
Uh, his name means deliverer, but uh, it's too early for us to think about that. Uh, when I say Joshua, Jericho, yeah, the battles, conquest, right? Conqueror, conquering. But if I say Abraham and you don't, I'm going to give you the answer so it doesn't screw up my talk. <laughs> but if I say Abraham, err, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was his starting point, but that is certainly not where he finished. Uh, you'd say, you would think something along the lines probably of uh, Isaac, right? But thematically, uh, you would think of the idea of faith. And, and we should. His story and his person epitomize faith. I want us to examine his faith together this morning. And I, I made a comment to some who were here early. Um, there, is, there is a great cloud of witnesses of faith. And I don't want to use the word danger because I think it's actually a, a benefit of looking at what kind of faith they had that was so commendable is actually part of what Hebrews 11 is all about. All right? A disclaimer, even Abraham, the one that's known most for his faith, was imperfect in his faithfulness. And so for us to examine his faith and glean from it and see that which was commendable does not mean that we are saying that he is perfect in his faith. He fell. He fell twice hard. I'm so glad Scripture was written before I was alive, just in case my story might get cemented in it forever, right? We see Abraham's failures, but he's commended time and time and time again for his faith. He was not perfectly faithful, and that's because there's only one faithful one. That's actually, Revelation 19 calls him the faithful one. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But Jesus Christ is the only one who exhibited perfect faith. Nonetheless, that founder and perfecter of our faith, we can still look at those who followed forward towards him. And we can be encouraged and even challenged by their faith. So what was it about Abraham's faith that might encourage our own? Let's start in verse 8. I'm going to tell you three things if you're someone who writes things down. I think this may be in your notes. Okay, but faith calls us to go out. Faith calls us to look forward, and faith calls us to, to go through. I borrowed those words from this passage. So let's first look at that. By faith, we go out. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not even knowing where he was going. Okay, faith called him to go out from familiarity and from comfort and from what is known and to live in a foreign culture. Okay, let's, let's be clear. This is no small ask. I did put a visual aid on the back, which was perhaps borrowed, not stolen. Okay, but what I want you to see when you look at that is the distance at which he traveled, and to just consider for a moment that he started out in the Ur of Chaldees, okay? and he was taken with his family, his father Terah, took, took the whole family up to Haran, which is present-day Turkey, from present-day Iraq. Okay? And then the call of God on his life, which I'll read to you briefly and kind of storytell for the sake of time, was a call from Haran all the way down to Shechem, which is present-day Canaan or Israel. This is no small journey to take up wife and children and who knows how many animals. It's enough just with wife and children. 
But who knows how many animals. And to begin a trek of going out, not knowing quite where you're going, and not knowing exactly how to get there. But he was so sensitive to listening for the voice of God that he was willing and ready to go. Okay, and so Genesis 12, actually I would tell you the end of Genesis 11 is really where Abraham's story begins. Um, It begins with now Sarah was barren. She had no child. We'll come back to that. But Terah took Abraham and his son Lot and his grandson and basically the whole family and went to Haran. And then the Lord said this to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Couldn't he have just given him a name? For those of you who are married, can you imagine approaching your bride and saying, God has called us to go to a land which he will show us eventually? This is, this is, a, this is not an easy venture. This is not a, a, a safe enterprise that God is calling him to. Okay? And he said, and I will make of you a great nation. So there's a promise associated with this. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot, his brother, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Okay, I don't like moving within the same city. It's one of my least favorite things to do. Since living in Dallas, I think I've moved seven times. Been in Dallas for about 15 or 16 years. I don't like moving. But to move not just within the same city, but across countries and across cultures, there's a certain sense in which something that we can glean is not necessarily that God's calling any of you to leave the city of Dallas to go to the other side of the world. He might be. That could be a call that he puts on your life. But the thing to glean from this is that faith listens and follows the voice of God. Faith is not afraid to be called by him to a place or a land or a job or a career or a thing that God will show you. And I think what's very tempting and very easy, and culturally it's even um, uh, threatened, is this idea that you would be willing to do whatever he might call you to do and to go wherever he might, willing, might be willing to call you to go. Um, I had lunch Sometime last year, I can't recall when, uh, my mom told me that memory for parents with young kids is like her own. So I, I have some kind of sympathy for my mom in her, her later years of life. Uh, but last year, I had lunch with a guy, and he has a mentor who's in his 70s. He's my age, close to 40. And his mentor said, uh, how do you spell faith? The strange question. And he said, F-A-I-T-H. It's always good to start with the obvious, right? Just in case it's a trick question. And he said, no, that's, that's not right. And so my friend, you know, in a wizened state said, T-R-U-S-T. Ah, that's pretty good. And he said, no, that's, that's not really quite it either. And he said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And I remember him telling me that at lunch, and I thought, that's so cheesy. (laughs) 
like change the subject, grab some chips and salsa. Do, you know, that's so cheesy. But the truth is there's an, there's an element of truth to that. Faith inherently is a call to go out from that which is comfortable to us, not without comfort. Because we find comfort in a different way, in a different thing, in a different person. It loosens our hold on that which we know and calls us to take a risk into that which we don't know. Okay? It, it involves a sense of uh, comfortlessness, of discomfort, of coming out. Okay? And uh, I know this because I have young kids. All my kids are under the age of seven. And I never uh, look at them and say, trust me. When they're sitting on the couch watching a TV show. Because that would be weird. My oldest would look at me and think, for what? Right? But when I say trust me, it's almost always in a situation of distress, in a situation of something new, in a situation of trying to learn how to handle a situation that causes fear or even panic. It's always spoken. My words of faith and my call to her to follow me and my call to him to follow me, it's always into a situation that's uncomfortable. Otherwise, it makes no sense. And so something we can see from the life of Abraham is that he, he still had ears to hear and listen and follow the voice of God amidst the uncomfortableness, uncomfortableness that it might cause. Okay, And that's because faith gives us comfort, but it rarely, rarely, rarely is its aim to make us comfortable. Faith's goal is to draw us in. And it takes us to a place, if I can say it this way, uh, where our sense of self-sufficiency dies. That I can or I will achieve or I can make this work falls apart. And brothers, there's really no better place to be. Because when we get to that frightening spot, that riskiness, that enterprise of unsettledness, the promise that was given Abraham is given to us. I will be with you. I will show you. I will make you a blessing. And so Abraham, he went out. Let me say one thing. Uh, a good question would be, until when, Brent? Like, at what point does this, this kind of call kind of cease to exist? You know, and I just want to encourage you. It's easy for me to say it never stops. I'm 38 years old. I have a lot of life ahead of me. But when you look at when um, Abraham was called, what his age was, it was 75. Some of the best years of your life. Perhaps even the most significant calling God could give you. May not exist on the front end. It may begin on the back end. Now, I understand 75 then in a time and place when 130 to 165 years was the average life expectancy. We can still kind of, with reasonable error, uh, bring that to a point in present day where we would say that's somewhere between 50 and 60 years old. That God calls him to the most significant part of his life. Don't ever doubt that the call of faith is a call to a life of faith. Not just to a moment of faith. Do you still have ears to hear his voice and to follow his call?
Are we so gripped to building a career that we don't realize our hands are tightly held instead of loosely held? Because when I look at the life of Abraham, one thing that challenges me is that the idea of a career never seems to trump the reality of listening for God's voice. Um, the, the why and the how and the who were set for Abraham's life. But he held loosely to the when and the what and the where. As he calls, so shall I go. As he leads, so shall I follow. And so be encouraged. If you're my age, you might not have even reached the prime of your life. There could be something incredibly significant ahead. And I don't want any of us to have the, uh, let's see, how would you spell the opposite of this in terms of faith? Uh, D-O-N-E. That it's done. Faith will call you out of that place of comfort because God's more interested in you following him than thrown in the towel. It's him. And it's him wanting you to want him. So on the home stretch of life, keep your ears open. Keep your eyes open. Have a heart that's willing to follow. Okay, there's a second thing here too. Uh, faith called Abraham to look forward to an inheritance that, produ- that produced a contentment in him right now. Okay, look at verse 9. So by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundation, whose designer and builder is God. Okay? If, if faith calls you to go out from a place of, of comfort, um, faith also allows you to grab future realities and let them invade your present circumstances. Okay? This man who left house and home and traveled to foreign land not only got to that land, but there was no settled thing for him there. He did a um, tent-dwelling type of living. In other words, the promise that was made to him about inheriting the land actually didn't happen until he got in the land. And then after he was told about the promise of inheriting the land, he didn't actually inherit it. There were other people inhabiting it. Big people, scary people, intimidating people. It wouldn't be until after him that the people would inherit the land through that guy named Joshua that we talk about conquering it. And so Abraham lived in this state of um, perpetual pilgrimage where he didn't have to cling to the earth because it wasn't totally his. Instead, it says his future forward-looking faith was looking for the city of God. There's been a couple of famous books written by a guy named Bunyan and Augustine about such a thing. And so faith has this future invading the present characteristic to it. There's a future reality for the people of God that is founded and designed and guaranteed. And it's not because of the faith of men. It's because of the faithfulness of God. Time and time again in Scripture... The encouragement to the suffering people of God is to look forward and work backwards because God will not fail on his promises. And I think um, I can tell you this from my time in youth ministry. I I would often hear something like this. I'm just bored in my faith. And frankly, brothers, uh, and I, I guess the longer you do youth ministry, the less sensitive you become in some ways. Teenagers have a way of wearing you down. I don't know if any of you are in that right now. Right? 
But I would say that's because your faith is boring. It doesn't get beyond today. And I wasn't trying to be trite. I was trying to be truthful. A lot of times what happens is we start to be disappointed or bored in our faith, and it's because we're claiming promises that God never made. And we're so ill-acquainted with the promises that He has made. And so when we say things from up front or even at our tables like, be acquainted with the Word of God, it's not because God will justify you if you've memorized every page of the book. It's because within those things are His words of life and His promises to His people. And often those promises are already but really not yet. And by faith, we look forward to grasp hold of those and we secure ourselves to secure things so that when we come back into our present day and there's a bunch of insecurity around, we're not so shaken. We, by faith, live today in the presence of future realities that God has secured for us. One of the most dangerous things we can do is securing ourselves to insecure things. One of the greatest things God can do is to threaten or take those insecure things out of our lives. Because it leaves us with hands open. And the call of faith beckons us to finally grasp that which we can let invade this circumstance. And it gives us a sense of security that we did not previously know or have. It's a permanent type of security. And that's why there's such common admonitions in Scripture, things like this. Set your mind on things above. Strive forward towards what lies ahead. Or even the reminder of things like Abraham seemingly believed that our citizenship is not in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we can even believe strange things like Paul said where he says, dying is gain. You know, one of the things that Jonathan Edwards resolved to do was to think often upon his death. That comment makes me think he probably didn't have a lot of friends. Be tough to relate to someone who's thinking often upon their death. What was he saying? Was he dark? Was he depressed? I don't know. I don't think so. I think even the thought of death for him was a place of promise. As Jesus raised from the dead, so shall I. And I long for that place. I long for that city because its designer and architect is God. Draw from future realities and let them invade your present circumstances. I promise you what will happen is you won't be uh, released from the present. You'll be renewed in it. You'll feel less burdened. You'll feel less hindered. You'll feel less distracted. You will feel less stressed. Say it positively. You'll have more peace. Because you're gripping onto something tightly that cannot be lost. You let the future invade the present. Um, the only thing more dangerous than quoting from someone is when you quote from yourself in a talk you gave just a few months ago. So I'm going to do that right now. Uh, but cased within this is a quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, I gave a sermon last summer on hope, which is so future-oriented. And it's easy to forget, so I'm reminding myself too. Uh, it's easy to think that the Christian could become naive and oblivious and even apathetic towards this world 
if he or she focuses so much on future realities, like the return of Christ, for instance. But that is not the case. It's the reality of that future perfection that gives us the strength and courage to enter into the world today. And this is the more eloquent quote. Continually look forward to the eternal world. This is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on fire the conversion of the Roman Empire. The great men who built up the Middle Ages. The English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade. All left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. Aim at heaven and you will get the earth thrown in, but aim at earth and you will get neither. And so this scripture tells us Abraham had this, this looking forward kind of faith. Not just a going out, but a looking forward kind of faith. And that led to a tent living kind of lifestyle. He wasn't asking us to take a vow of poverty in his, his model of life. He was asking us to let go of this world. To be in it, but not of it. To be freed from it while caring for it. And he did. By faith, he just kept looking forward. And so we need to secure ourselves in those promises of God because the, those are the realities. Those are the guarantees. And the guarantor is him. It can't be broken. It can't be lost. He will not break his word. It's worth living for in the present. So faith calls us to look forward. But faith also calls us to go through. Okay, We're going to skip to verse 17 and look at this. This is perhaps the most familiar reference to Abraham's life. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This reminds us that faith calls us to go through times of testing. As a matter of fact, I would say faith almost always is tested. And as with any test, the truth gets revealed. And what is that truth? What truth gets revealed? Well, it reveals what the object of your faith really is. Faith left alone by itself really is no faith at all. Faith always has an object attached to it. To it. And that object that is attached to it very quickly becomes the seat of desire, the place of connection, the place of trust. And one of the most frustrating conversations I have in the present day is when somebody tells me that they have faith and you say, in what? And it's radio silent. As if faith just exists in a vacuum, that it just operates in isolation. Well, it's just faith. In what? Isn't that such a necessary question? I, I, I'm not just speaking from a Christian viewpoint. I'm speaking from a rational viewpoint. Faith has an object just like love has an object. There is a sharedness between the thing and its object. But it doesn't exist in a vacuum itself. 
And so one of the things that's almost a guarantee of faith is that God is going to call us to test it. Or rather, He is going to test it. Um, How do you know what the object of your faith is? I'll give you a quick story and we're getting close to a close. Um, My son Davis is courageous. He's bold. He's fearless. It drives his mom crazy and I find it really entertaining. Okay. Um, If I took the snack bin, which is just high enough for his little three and a half year old self to get it, which is also dangerous because I know what's in that snack bin because I eat from that snack bin. It's good stuff. Oreos, Cheez-Its. Oreos are something I put in there, not mom. Right? If I took that snack bin away and I hit it and Davis went looking for it, he'd be pretty upset because I had threatened something that he loves. Right? He also loves his blue shoes. They're Nikes. He thinks they make him faster than anyone else. He's the same speed. Always the same speed. But if I went and I took those two blue shoes and I hid them and he looked for them and couldn't find them, he'd be really upset. Because he would feel threatened that something had been taken from him. But if I went in and I grabbed his blue blanket, it has to be blue for him. And I took it away. Davis wouldn't just be upset, he'd be shattered. Why would he be so shattered? Because that represents for him something of trust. He has assurance in that thing. It helps him feel safe and secure. It's what causes him to fall asleep and what he cannot sleep without. And one day, there will be a day, when we'll have to blame the Easter Bunny or something else for having taken that blanket away from Davis. Because he's got to grow up and he's got to be mature. Why? Because he needs to secure himself to something more secure. Eventually, we're going to have to test that. You see where I'm going with this? One of the things God graciously does, and in Abraham's case, severely did, is to test the object of our assurance, the actual functional functional reality of our faith, that which we are finding our trust, our connection to, our attachment with, our dependence upon, that we might not even be aware of. Abraham's story starts with, now Sarah was barren. You can read it in Genesis 11 at the end. And Genesis 12 is the beginning of Abraham's call. But there's couched within this, this long unfolding drama of barrenness and God making a promise of a son who would be given to him even though Scripture says he was as good as dead. And his wife, even more dangerously past childbearing years. And we know the promised son comes. What's his name? Isaac. And here we are in Genesis 22 at the foot of Mount Moriah, and God is calling into question the object of Abraham's faith. Would it be his son? Underneath all of this, is that really the object of Abraham's faith? Let me say it differently. Was his faith in the promises of God? primarily and ultimately, or in the person 
How do you become so enamored and attached and clung to the thing that God offered that he had forsaken or usurped the place of God himself? And there they go. And you know what's amazing about this? Through all the years of painful um, inability to bear children and the promise of a child who did come and now God calling to sacrifice him on the mountain, Abraham's faith never faltered. It was so strong that if you look back at this passage in the last verse, it says this. He, he considered, and that word's calculated. It's not dumb faith. He calculated that God was able even to raise him from the dead. He had such faith, trembling faith, as he walked up that mountain, that he thought to himself, God is able to raise my son from the dead. Isn't that incredible? I look back on the resurrection of Jesus and can say such a thing. He had no such thing to look back on. And so he moved forward. And it's amazing. This dilemma, this test that Abraham had to go through. It's as if Abraham said, if I were to sacrifice my only son, maybe God could raise him from the dead. God will provide the sacrifice that's needed to save. And if he must die, God will raise him from the dead because he keeps his promise to his people. Brothers, I'm going to repeat that one more time, and this is where we're closing. God will provide the sacrifice that's needed to save. And if he must die, God will raise him from the dead to keep his promise. When we said that there's a type of Christ in each of these stories... It's because their forward-looking faith was going to a place and even a person that they did not yet know, but grasping to him and drawing him back into their future, into their present reality. And it wasn't a moment of faith, it was a life of faith. That even at this moment of greatest testing, Abraham was right. God did provide a sacrifice to save. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did it to secure his promise for his people. And he would be the greater Abraham, wouldn't he? Leaving familiarity to go to a land unknown. Clinging to the promises of his father, even through the severest of trials. And he would be the greater Isaac. He would be the sacrifice himself. And he would be the one through which all the descendants of Abraham would be saved. And so when we fix our eyes on Abraham, we're actually fixing our eyes through him to the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers, the object of our faith is him. Secure yourself to him. He is the only secure thing. And then watch how your life of faith starts to live itself out courageously, how your ears begin to open and your heart begins to follow. Let me pray. Father, give us faith that listens and follows. And may we fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of that faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and now sits at your right hand. May we follow him. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for what you've done. 
Quicken us, enliven us, spirit, that we might be faithful men. And I ask that in Christ's name. Amen.